Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi there, I'm Georgie Ainsley, and every week I talk to someone who is a performance person. They could be an athlete from the world of entertainment, business, or politics. They could even be an astronaut. The key link is, of course, that they all know how to perform at the top level, and they can teach us all a thing or two about how to do that in our own lives at whatever it is that we do. Performance People is available wherever you get your podcasts, or of course, you can watch us on YouTube, where you can also subscribe, and please do. Drew Harrisburg is an exercise physiologist, sports scientist, diabetes educator, and to use his word, thriving with type 1 diabetes. Diagnosed at 22, he's made changes to the way he lives, eats, moves, and approaches life, and says he's happier and healthier today than he was before his diagnosis. He's developed a five-pillar plan to help others to prevent, manage, and reverse disease. Like, I felt like I was in the prime of my life, like early 20s. I, could, I had this like beautiful, bright future that I could see ahead of me, and then it was just like, bam! My life now is better than before my diagnosis. Like I, I feel happier and healthier, and I know who I am, and I'm you know I enjoy every minute of the day. So 100 years ago, diabetes was a death sentence, uh, and now, luckily, you know I'm able to live this amazing life. Um, Drew. You're probably going to think this is the worst thing in the universe, but um, earlier on tonight, I didn't have much time before um, we ended up doing this pod chat and I was struggling to put the kids to bed and everything was just a disaster all at once. So I didn't have much dinner. I had a sausage and a muffin, which obviously is catastrophic in terms of good diet and good nutrition. But I was thinking to myself, we're doing this pod now, which is like somewhat an hour later after I've had my sausage and said muffin. But we're, we're chatting now to you and I was thinking, God, you, you probably never have a day, do you, where you just eat random rubbish just to get, get through the day and have enough energy to move, you know, th- through the day. I guess that never happens to you. And it can't, right? Because j- just explain why that's something that, you, you know, you cannot do. Well, firstly, I wouldn't say it's catastrophic if it's a one-off, but if you're eating that every meal of every day, then it's probably not so good for you. Um, but no, you're right. So for me, uh, you know, living with type 1 diabetes, 
mealtime is like essential to get right. Like I have to plan ahead and I have to know exactly what I'm eating and I have to be able to calculate exactly how many grams of carbs, protein and fat are in each meal so that I can give the correct dose of insulin. So it's like, it's mathematics all the time. It's always planning, it's always counting and it can get, you know, a little bit exhausting after a while. But sometimes if I'm in a position like you were in just then where you have the opportunity to either like reach for a meal that is not that healthy or skip the meal, sometimes I just don't eat the meal. So, you know, it's, it's sort of juggling these two things and it's, it's not that easy. So like you say, it's sort of, it's, it's doing maths before every mealtime. So does that, has that turned you into this super organized planning aficionado? Because you, you just have to do that. That's how, where you have to live your life these days. Yeah, it requires a lot of planning, but I'm also, over the years, I've gotten better at just letting go and I'm okay with being imperfect. Like sometimes, you know, a meal for me will be, I guess, a, a few pieces of fruit instead of a, a really balanced meal with, you know, lots of different vegetables and whole grains and all these things. If I'm in a rush, sometimes it'll be, a, you know, an apple. <laughs> like if I have to do that, I will. And I'm, I surrendered to the fact that I'm not going to get it right every time and you can't plan perfectly. So I do my best, but if I have to, you know, miss a meal or eat something that's not ideal, then I'm, I'm okay with that as well. So you didn't always have type 1 diabetes. So how did this whole thing come about? How did it happen? How did you find out about it? Yeah, my diagnosis was a little bit different to most people. It was a unique sort of situation. Uh, I was 21, 22 years old. I'd finished university as a sports scientist and I was trying to get accredited to become an exercise physiologist. I wanted to work with like elite sports teams, you know, maybe a rugby team in Australia or travel overseas and work with an elite, you know, football team or something. And I was getting my accreditation and I noticed that over a, you know, a period of a few months that my, my health was just deteriorating. And, and the signs are very obvious when you know what, they, what you're looking for, but when you're in the middle of it, you're almost too close to it to see what's going on. So the main things that I was experiencing were like, like severe thirst. I was always drinking water all day, all night. I was waking up in the middle of the night, drinking a lot of water, needing to go to the toilet all day, every day. Um, exhaustion, so tired, falling asleep everywhere. I fell asleep driving my car multiple times. I fell asleep in a job interview face-to-face with the, uh, the man who was trying to get me the position at this wow. hospital that I was working at. So I was just exhausted. I lost a lot of weight. I'd lost nearly 15 kilos um, in maybe four to six months. So all of these signs and symptoms. And basically, I got diagnosed sitting in a diabetes clinic next to my dad who is an eye doctor who specializes in eye health for people with diabetes in the clinic that he'd worked at for like 20 years so it was such an ironic strange you know way to get diagnosed because a lot of other people with type 1 diabetes get diagnosed in a a very traumatic way where they're rushed to hospital either conscious or unconscious maybe in a coma and they've got ketoacidosis so their blood sugar has been so high for so long that their blood becomes acidic and they essentially their body just shuts down. And they're, it's like you're in an ambulance, you're on your way to hospital. For me, it was kind of I was still functioning. Like I was still working. I was still living my normal life. I was, I was relatively functional. I felt terrible. I looked sick. Um, but I wasn't, it wasn't like danger zone just yet. So I, I got it early enough that it was sort of a safer diagnosis. 
And, you know, what's that like for a young man of like 22 when you've got all these plans to do extraordinary things and you've just got your qualifications and you've got all these ambitions and then suddenly like, oh, my God, I've got to handle this first and foremost. And it's a, a really, you know, um, frightening diagnosis to receive. I mean, what, what, what was that moment like? Yeah, I, I remember the moment very clearly. Um, it was obviously it's hard, I think, at any age, but... For me, I, f- I feel like it was particularly hard because I was like, I felt like I was in the prime of my life, like early 20s. I could, I had this like beautiful, bright future that I could see ahead of me. And then it was just like, bam, you know, here's this lifelong condition that you can never get rid of. You've got to live with every single day. And it's like, you've got to prick your finger 15 times a day. You've got to inject insulin with every meal. Uh, you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, exercise is dangerous. Traveling alone is dangerous. And all these things just started to sort of creep in. And it was dark, like the first three to six months, maybe even up to a year was, it was a dark time. I was definitely trying to figure out who I was again. And I felt like I lost touch with my identity. I had to come to terms with the fact that I was living with a a chronic condition for the rest of my life. Um, And I felt, I I felt not ashamed of it, but I was like, I I wasn't proud to wear it. I, 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 I hid it away. I was suffering in silence. I would you know, I would check my blood glucose in the bathroom of a restaurant instead of at the table and I'd go to my car to inject my insulin. I didn't want anyone to know that I had it or see it. Um, so I did my best to hide it away. But yeah, inside, like mentally, psychologically, socially, pretty damaging for a long time. Um, I didn't see my friends for a while. I just had to be alone for, you know, a significant period of time until I had the confidence to actually look and feel better and leave the house and, you know, figure out who I was again. So it took a long time. And now? Well, now the complete opposite. Now I'm proud to wear it. Now I talk about it all day, every day. I mean, we're on a podcast talking about it right now. And I'm, <laughs> I, I love, you know, educating people about it. And I, I, you know, I wear a CGM, which is this device that you can see, you know, all the time. And I'm injecting in public. And now I, I have absolutely no problem with it. In fact, I often say that I, my life now is better than before my diagnosis. Like I, I feel happier and healthier and I know who I am and I'm, you know, I enjoy every minute of the day, but uh, it took, it took a long time. And I know that my case is, you know, maybe different to other people. I know a lot, a lot of other people who get a diagnosis like this and it might not be diabetes. It could be any diagnosis and it completely derails, you know, th- their lives. And I'm aware that I've turned this into a positive and that I'm able to live a great life, but I know a lot of people who aren't able to do this. So I don't want to make it sound like it's easy because it's actually it's very, very difficult. And like you say, how ironic that your dad is a specialist in this field as well. I mean, I read a piece where he talk, talked about the fact that he went home that evening after you'd received your diagnosis and he'd obviously sat alongside you as that happened and jabbed a needle into his leg, almost in solidarity and sympathy with what you know you were going to have to do for the rest of your life. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing, isn't it, for for somebody to do? But also, I suppose, you know, knowledge is power. I mean, how much has he helped you on this journey? Yeah, it's so ironic. I mean, he literally dedicated like most of his career to saving the sight of people who've had, you know, poorly controlled diabetes for a long time. Because some some of the complications are you have damage to the fine vessels, so your eyes, your your nerves, kidneys. So he's, you know, dealing with people who have this these eye conditions related to diabetes and then he's working alongside this diabetes clinic for many many years and then all of a sudden i'm diagnosed with the same condition in the clinic that he worked at 
you just you couldn't even script this. So, yeah, I mean, he jabbed a needle into his leg, which good on him, sounds brave. But to be honest, the needles are so small these days, you sometimes you barely even feel them enter. You know, back in the day, you'd have to get a syringe and draw up this, you know, out of a vial, this long needle. But now they're like these tiny little things. So still, I, I'm happy that he did it for me. Thank you, Dad. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> thankfully, the technology as well has changed so much over the years. Like when I, when I was diagnosed, I was doing these finger pricks and drawing blood, you know, 15, 16 times a day. And my skin was destroyed. I had calloused hands and waking up in the night and drawing blood and all these things. Now you've got this CGM that talks to your phone. You've got this data coming in all the time. I don't have to draw blood anymore. You know, the insulin needles and pens are, are amazing. And so you can still live this, you know, fantastic life with, with diabetes, thankfully. It's weird, isn't it? I, I uh, had um, three years and probably about eight rounds of IVF. So I know what it's like to jab a needle into my stomach again and again and again. And the bruising that you can get from that and, you know, just that repetitive nature of having to do something because you've got to see, you know, you want an outcome or a particular outcome. I mean, how, how does it sort of, how have you learned to sort of just make it part of your daily routine, make it part of your life and as, 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 uh, as less intrusive as possible, if you like? Yeah, I think that, a condition like this, you actually have no choice. Like it's life or death. You, you've got to give the injections. You have to, it's just something you have to do. And I came to terms with that very early on. Thankful. I mean, I remember the first injection I had to give and I was so hesitant. I, you know, I was, I didn't know if it was going to be painful. I didn't know what it would feel like. And I just, I couldn't do it. I was like, you know, pinching the skin and I just was hovering there waiting. And then I just kind of like closed my eyes and jammed it in. And I was like, oh, I didn't feel a thing. And then, you know, I realized that thankfully, like I'm blessed that insulin was invented a hundred years ago. If, if I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes a hundred years ago, it's a death sentence. You, you, you may live out a few weeks or maybe months if you're lucky. And the, the treatment back then was a starvation diet. So the only way to stay alive was to literally be on a, you know, a diet of zero carbohydrates and essentially so, so low calorie that you're just trying to keep your blood glucose in range for as long as possible before it gets out of range and then it eventually kills you. So 100 years ago, diabetes was a death sentence. Uh, and now, luckily, you know, I'm able to live this amazing life. It still is a full-time job. Like the job of somebody, somebody with diabetes is to manually manage a organ that no longer works and a system that's meant to be automatic. And you've got to manually do it every single day, checking your blood glucose, at key times of the day, before and after meals, before and after workouts, before bed, first thing in the morning, pretty much all the time. Um, and then you're injecting insulin and you've got to figure out what is the correct dose. If you overdose, the dangers, the acute dangers are that you can lose consciousness, seizure, coma, even death. And the you know long-term complications of poorly managed diabetes are scary too. So it still is extremely difficult and dangerous. But if you know as you say, knowledge is power. If you know what you're doing and you put in the effort and the work and the time required to actually learn how to do it safely, you can still live a really, really good, long, healthy life. And I mean, to look at you, you look super healthy. You're like the picture of, of good health. Um, and so, you know, whatever you're doing is clearly working. Um, you live by these five pillars, don't you? What are they? Tell us about them. Yeah, the five pillars were sort of, they came about through the experimentation after being diagnosed. So immediately after being diagnosed, my thought was life is over. 
what did I do to deserve this? It'll never be the same again. And I, it, the future was very, very grim. And then I had this amazing moment after I was diagnosed, literally the day after, where I, I was sent home from the clinic without any insulin at this stage because insulin can be dangerous if you don't know how to use it properly. And they wanted to sort of get an understanding of what my lifestyle was like before they give me this insulin therapy, which can cause some problems. So I wake up the next day, I eat breakfast and my blood glucose spikes to like five, six times the normal range, which was expected because wow. I had no insulin. And I then I was deflated. Like I hated seeing that how high my blood sugar had gone. And then I went to the gym and I did a workout for an hour, like a full body workout. And after that, uh, gym workout, I checked my blood glucose again, expecting to see 25, 30, which was where it was at before. And then I saw that it was back down into the normal range. So that workout had done something to my blood glucose that it allowed it to go from five times the, the normal range back into that normal range. Wow. So that moment there was like huge for me because it happened on the first day after being diagnosed, which gave me an immense amount of confidence, uh, gave me hope, gave me some positivity about the future. So that was the day that I sort of discovered the first of these five pillars, which is exercise. Exercise mm -hmm. being an important part of anyone's routine, but especially if you have diabetes, it's this incredible way to, to stabilize your blood glucose levels. So then I experimented over the next few years with different types of exercise, you know, high intensity, low intensity, steady state, you know, strength training versus, you know, all these other forms. And they all have unique, you know, impacts on the blood glucose level. So some types of exercise make your blood glucose go down, other types of exercise make it go up. And I had to just figure out how to use this new tool, which became one of those five pillars. And then the experiment continued and it went into the nutrition side of things. So nutrition became the second pillar, figuring out that you know, obviously what we eat every day, what we choose to eat every day is so important for our blood glucose levels, our insulin sensitivity, and just our overall health. And then the other pillars sort of came about. So the, the third pillar was daily living, which is like, the things that we do every day, the activities of daily living that we often overlook and we take for granted and we don't realize how important they are for our health. Um, and then mindfulness, which was the piece that sort of tied everything. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everything together, which, which, you know, I realized that without being mindful and just moving mindlessly, it was way more difficult to manage my blood glucose levels and manage my diabetes because I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to realize what lifestyle factors were affecting my diabetes in what way without being mindful. So that was a huge part of it. And then the final pillar is sort of like where they all funnel into, which is insulin blood glucose control. Obviously, if you're living with diabetes, that's like one of the most important things that you can focus on. But I realized that that pillar, the fifth pillar, insulin and blood glucose control, is a byproduct of all of these other pillars. So, yeah. so nutrition, exercise, mindfulness, and daily living, they all funnel into good blood glucose control. So all I had to do was get those four things right 
every day, like sort of like a checklist, make sure non-negotiable, get the daily dose, and then I'll be able to be healthy for, for a long time. I mean, one of the most bizarre bits of all of this as well is, you, you know, th- how you came into it in terms of your own professional qualifications, because as somebody who's obviously fascinated by exercise anyway, and a, and a sports scientist, I mean, you know, surely this, this plays to some degree into your knowledge bank too. Um, and is, is something that I suppose, um, once you get your head around the fact that this is something you're going to have to manage on a daily basis. And once that you take the emotion out of that, which I imagine is very, very difficult to do, actually you can apply so much of what you know and, and who you are as a person to, to helping you resolve it. Can't you? Yeah. I think my background in, in science in general was, was hugely beneficial However, the kind of scary part is despite being trained as a sports scientist and despite understanding a lot about, you know, human physiology, I knew nothing about diabetes. Like it is, it's one of those conditions that unless you're living with it, you really don't understand how, you know, the, the nitty gritty of it. So even my dad, who's a surgeon and an eye specialist, my mom's a doctor too, my sister's a doctor, I've got doctors in the family. Wow. None of us understood diabetes until I was diagnosed with it. Like I'm still discovering and learning things about it. It's, it's just one of those conditions that you're not going to take the time to learn about if it doesn't affect you. But when it affects you or your family or your friends, then you start to really learn about this condition. So, But I do think that having a scientific background has helped me so much, even just researching. Like even that, that day that I did that workout that brought my blood glucose down into range, the first thing I did was try to figure out like what is the mechanism that allowed that to happen because it was such an incredible moment. I wanted to know, like, how, how did that happen? Where did the glucose go? Why was it in my bloodstream one minute and then after the, the, the workout, it was somewhere else? So the mechanism is incredible. It's that when you contract your muscles, you get this opening of these, like, glucose gateways at each site that you're contracting. So if you're doing a full-body workout and you're using all the big muscles in your legs and your, in your arms and your whole body, the stimulation, so that stimulus of contracting the muscle opens these gateways that just allows glucose to flow into the muscle so that it can be stored as glycogen or burnt and used as energy. Uh, but if you don't contract your muscles, you can't open those glucose gateways. The only other way to open those gateways is to use insulin. So either injecting it or if your body makes it, if your pancreas works, you can you secrete your own insulin, which will open the gateways. So you've got these two ways to open up these glucose gateways to the body. And I realized that for me, I'm going to have to lean a lot on the contraction of muscle to get the gateways open. And of course, using insulin as well. You can't, it's not just a substitute. I've got to use both, but leaning on that a little bit more has been something that's helped me you know, over the years, which is why I pretty much move my body all day, every day to just sensitize my body to insulin and to open these gateways so that it's easy to manage the diabetes. Yeah. I was going to say, what's been sort of the most surprising revelation that you have discovered about about the condition. But I guess from what you've just said about exercise and the fact that you knew that you could really affect serious change by, by doing it, that's, that's probably, you know, a key, a key thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's a huge one. But also the, the thing that I overlooked before, which is like the benefits of walking. That is something mm. that has completely changed. Like if I didn't get diabetes, I don't think I would walk nearly as much. I realized that like uh, uh, even just a 15 minute walk after a meal can just flatten the curve of that glucose spike considerably. Like it's unbelievable how well it works. And this mechanism, it works in everybody. Basically, everything I've mentioned so far, it it works in everybody. It's not just for people with diabetes. So anyone with a, a normal, healthy, working pancreas, 
and you know maybe you have no glycemic issues if you eat a higher carbohydrate meal and then go for a walk you will see this like flattening of the glucose curve because it sensitizes your body to insulin and it gets those gateways sort of open and then you you just get this slower rise and then it doesn't peak as high it just sort of flattens off the top of it um, so this is a tool that I've used. I, I mean, I use it all the time, but I, I also recommend it to everybody. You know, if you can go for a little walk after a meal, uh, it's probably going to do some some good things for you. And then, what about the nutrition? What does your What does your daily diet look like? I know that you've um, experienced different versions of various diets, which might be considered trendy or fatty. I mean, what are you sticking to? What have you figured out works best? Yeah, I've definitely experimented with multiple diets now. Um, and the reason is because when I was diagnosed, the first thing I did was look for like a dietary solution. Like, can I manage my diabetes with you know, a certain way of eating? So I just went to Google and checked out what was there and what were people talking about. And the first thing that I came across was like a low-carb paleo-style diet, which you know, when you step away from a standard Western diet towards a paleo-low-carb diet, it's pretty healthy. Like you're eating vegetables you're eating mostly whole foods real foods um the only things i wasn't eating I, I avoided dairy and i avoided whole grains and legumes so i was eating a little bit of fruit a lot of vegetables but i was eating a lot of meat a lot of fish eggs you know those kinds of things um and i had some really good you know years of great control eating a diet like that you know my blood glucose levels were good my it's called an hba1c which is your three month average blood glucose that was always really good my insulin sensitivity, all of these biomarkers were great. And then I decided to try the next extreme version of that diet, which was the keto diet, which at first was really good for a couple of months. Again, I had these like flat blood glucose levels, low insulin requirements. I really felt like I was, I know you can't do this, but at the time it felt like I was reversing my diabetes in a way. It felt like mm. I was, um, you know, stepping my way towards less and less insulin and really being able to just live kind of a normal life and eat foods without having to give insulin with every meal. But after a couple of months, I ran into some serious hurdles with that way of eating. And basically my insulin sensitivity got worse and worse and I needed more and more insulin as the months went on. And, you know, every time I woke up in the morning, my blood glucose was a little bit higher and a little bit higher until it was like, you know, at least two times the normal range every morning. Wow which then led me into the next phase of the experiment, which was the complete flip side of that coin, which is a low, um, a lower fat, you know, higher carbohydrate plant-based diet. So I cut out all of those fatty meats and I replaced it with plant protein, um, very high fiber diet, lots of you know, fruit, lots of vegetables, no more fear of carbohydrates, you know, eating lots of carbs every day and, Essentially, my insulin sensitivity not only restored, but became the best it had ever been. My insulin to carb ratio, which is this interesting number that gives you an insight into your health with diabetes, which is for one unit of insulin, how many grams of carbohydrate can you eat and metabolize? And the, the less saturated fat that I was eating, the better that number was becoming. So I realized that saturated fat was actually impairing insulin sensitivity. So now on a plant-based diet, it's a low saturated fat diet. A lot of carbohydrates. I'm not, it's not a low-fat diet total. I still eat you know, at least 30% of my diet is fat, but it's unsaturated fat, which improves insulin sensitivity. So now my day on a plate is basically there's no meat, there's no fish, no eggs, no cheese, no animal products at all. It's just plant foods. So whole grains, legumes, nuts, seeds, 
um, tofu, tempeh, fruit, vegetables, everything. It's a big menu. And it feels like you're your own sort of guinea pig on this. Is somebody else helping you? Are you getting help from other places or are you just experimenting in your own way because you've got, you know, a little bit of knowledge about how to do this? So um, you're just trying out different things and seeing what works best or, or, or are you doing this based on somebody else's advice as well, helping you along on the journey? I'm definitely leaning on um, like science the science around this stuff. So, you know, I look at studies that, that are looking at certain dietary patterns and how they impact diabetes-related biomarkers. Um, there's plenty of evidence showing that, like, if you swap saturated fat for unsaturated fat, insulin sensitivity improves, you know, and there's evidence about the higher the fiber content, the better your blood glucose management, all of these kinds of things. Um, you know, I'm leaning on that. I've got communities and circles online of you know people with diabetes who have also done these sorts of experiments and are trying things and you know it's not I'm not just like shooting in the dark like I'm I'm definitely being guided by evidence and other people who are doing a great job but I what I've learned is to be you know a little bit more courageous and brave around self-experimentation because I feel like without doing like if I didn't do that keto experiment uh, I wouldn't have discovered this plant-based way of eating so, so I, I, I understand that it, sometimes it'll feel like one step back for two steps forward, and I'm happy to do that. I mean, the keto thing in that context sounds pretty dangerous. So keto is, there's so much hype around keto and diabetes. I mean, anyone who's ever been on social media will see that, you know, keto is everywhere and people claim that it's like the ultimate way to manage diabetes and even reverse it or put it into remission and all this stuff. It's very misunderstood, though, of, of the actual impact of the diet on, on, the, on the body. And what I think that people, where people go wrong is that they equate low blood glucose levels and low insulin requirements with reversing diabetes, which is just not actually true because all it does is it masks the symptoms. So if you don't put carbohydrates into your body and you're not eating glucose, yeah, of course, your blood glucose isn't going to be fluctuating all day. But what that doesn't tell you is what happens when you then do eat carbohydrates. Can your body tolerate the carbohydrates? And the answer is most of the time, no, especially if your keto diet is very high in saturated fat because saturated fat impairs insulin sensitivity. So you might actually make your body more insulin resistant eating this very, very high fat diet, but because you're not eating carbohydrates, you're not seeing what's happening to your blood glucose. You're not challenging the system. So the best indication of actual you know, reversal or remission of diabetes is can you tolerate carbohydrates? That's, that's essentially going to be your, your best window into your diabetes health. Can your body tolerate carbohydrates? So if you, can, if you achieve very good blood glucose levels in the absence of carbs, you're not seeing the whole picture. But if you can achieve great blood glucose levels and normal insulin levels in the presence of carbs, then you're really testing the system and you can show whether or not you're improving your diabetes health. So it's, it still is a solution. Like some people can stick to a keto diet long term and they see that they've got these great biomarkers that, you know, may help prevent certain uh, long-term conditions associated with diabetes. So it can be a solution, but I just think it's a little bit of a Band-Aid solution. I don't think it's like a sustainable long-term solution for good health across the board. So if you're just focusing on diabetes health, yes, it can, it can work. It can be a solution. But if we're looking at the human body as more than just diabetes and we're thinking about like cardiovascular disease and all these other conditions, I think there's better ways of eating, better dietary patterns. 
Andrew, with everything you're doing and with these five pillars that you that you live by, can you how how much change can you affect as far as your conditions concerned? I mean, I know it it makes you manage it far better on a daily basis. Can it have really serious long term impact as well? Yeah, I mean, diabetes. So it's never going away. You're definitely going to be living with type one days uh, forever. Um, but what I find is that by by trying to find a way of living, so, so a lifestyle through these five pillars, not only is my diabetes health the best it's been, but I feel like I'm improving my overall health in, in ways that I didn't even think were possible. That's why I say, and people think I'm like just making this up and I'm crazy and I know it sounds strange, but like I feel happier and healthier with diabetes than before because I feel like I've found a blueprint for long-term health and wellness. Whilst I don't know where I would be if I didn't have diabetes. I, maybe I wouldn't be, you know, this in tune with my health, and maybe I wouldn't have discovered this sort of five pillar approach. But I do think that because on paper my life expectancy is less. As soon as you get that diagnosis, it cuts years of your life. My risk of cardiovascular disease is is higher than the average person. So my whole mission became: how can I get those years back? How can I offset the potential damage? that this is caused by finding a way of living that can improve my life, maybe add years to my life. So that's sort of my, my job. I'm trying to just make the, get back to par and maybe, you know, improve my life a little bit more. So, and I think I'm, I think I'm on track. We'll see. I think you, I think you sound like you're much more on track than most people. I gotta say. Um, And in terms of one of the things I wanted to ask you before we sort of draw to a close is, about, you know, daily performance. I mean, you've got so much to take into consideration every time you wake up in the morning and, you know, with what you've got to deal with throughout the course of the day um, that sort of would would influence this. But what's the one thing that you do every day that you think other people can really heed and, and take note of and inject into their lives um, to make them have better performance? What was the one piece of the nugget of advice you'd give you'd give people for better daily improvement? think it would have to be to start your day with a morning routine that puts you in a in a mental and physical state that makes you just feel unstoppable like for me if 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 i start the day on the right foot where i feel like i've done something hard to myself so a hard workout or a cold like i swim in the ocean every single morning um something that's difficult that you impose on yourself um because once you've done that and you realize that you can handle something hard, especially when you do it to yourself, then anything that comes at you for the rest of the day, you feel like you can cope better. So for me, it's getting up early, see a sunrise, do something hard, move my body and jump in the ocean. Once I've done that and I've allowed time for that morning routine, so it's not like a rush out the door, you know, the alarm goes off and you have to rush off to work. I put aside the time. Granted, I don't have kids like you and I've got less responsibilities and I can actually do these things. But for people who have the time and can do it, I would say just a healthy morning routine that like puts you with a mindset that you can just absolutely conquer the day. That for me is, is a non-negotiable. I have to say, I, I walk the dogs every morning just as, you know, because it's part of our daily life and our daily, our daily routine. And I swear to God, that helps so much. It just clears your mind, fresh air, you know, whatever, even if it's raining, you just feel like you're starting the day in a much better place. So I hear what you're saying with regards to routine and especially what you said earlier about walking and how important that is. Thanks, Drew. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you. I loved it. Thanks, Georgie. It was good to chat.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.